Well, good morning. We might have some kids' noises outside, but that's only going to be good for us, I think, to listen to you. All right, well, my name's Jenny. I'm the associate pastor here at Bethany Northeast, and I have the privilege of sharing with you all this morning from our study in Moses as we're continuing our summer sermon series, kind of on the life of Moses. Jack Brace is our lead pastor for the Northeast campus, and he's out on vacation this week with his family camping. You'll have to ask him about it when he's back next week. But last week, you might remember, some of us were here, and instead of listening to a sermon in this time right now, we broke after worship and spent time serving this school. Uh, We basically broke up into groups and just served for about an hour and a half. And can I say, wonderful job to those of you who were here. Uh, You did an amazing job. You managed to paint an entire hallway of the school over there. It looks incredible. You cleaned the teacher's lounge, a bunch of our windows, uh, and the teacher's lounge looks amazing. You weeded this courtyard right here and also at the community orchard across the parking lot, and you picked up trash all over the school. Thank you. Amazing job for the people here. So yeah, you can give yourselves a round of applause. I was so blessed by how hard everyone worked and uh, efficiently everyone worked. But meanwhile, you missed a week in our study of Moses. And so if you want to go back and listen online, the other camp, this is the beauty of being a bigger church. We have other pastors who were preaching last Sunday, and you can listen to that sermon online. So I encourage you to do that if you didn't already. And our study of Moses has really been focused on what Moses specifically learns about God and about himself, about leadership and faith and life, while he's leading the Israelite people through the wilderness, out of Egypt, And since he never actually reaches the promised land himself in his lifetime, this is really a study in what it means to to live on a journey your whole life, to be in movement in God's story. And so that's kind of the big picture of what we're studying this morning. Before we get into our text this morning, would you pray with me for our study together? God, we give you now our time as we dig into your word Lord, we give you thanks that we have this story of Moses recorded in such detail thousands of years later that you are still using it to teach us about what it means to be your people, what it means to lead, what it means to have you as our God. Show us now, God, about who you are, that we might understand you more deeply as a result of our study this morning together. Amen. Well, so a couple weeks ago, I had my annual physical uh, at the... I'm healthy, but at the polyclinic at Northgate. And as usual, I bring a list of concerns to my doctor when I have an annual physical. I don't really like to going to the doctor. I go once a year because I feel like I should to get the most out of my medical insurance. And so I go in with all the things that went wrong in the last year that I probably should have seen a doctor for. I just go in and tell her about all of that all at once. And so I listed off my concerns. And none of them are serious. I'm not going to disclose personal, too, too personal stuff here. But I had like a back muscle spasm during the year. I had trouble sleeping for a time. Some weird sleep stuff. Fatigue, I thought, was related to maybe allergies. And so I'm listing all these things off. And she stops me, and she, my doctor, and she basically says, hey, how much are you working? <laughs> are you taking days off? I think this is totally out of what we're talking about. doesn't have anything to do with it. How long are you going without checking email? How long are you going without being on your phone? And I was like, um, not, I'm not doing super well with any of those things, but I'm trying. And she says, it sounds like if you 
don't do something, things are just going to continue to get worse for you. And in fact, she told me, true story, you might need to consider either quitting one of your two jobs or figuring out a way to mentally rest from, these, from them. And she said, otherwise, your body's probably just going to continue to try to get your attention and break down on you in different ways, and that might be a high price to pay. A little bit convicting, right? And as a pastor who's actually pretty aware of this need for a work-rest rhythm and actually, I think, tries, I try to do this. I actually protect my days off decently well half the time or so, and, which, which I think is good. This is a little deflating. And so I realized, though, my doctor's probably less concerned even about how many hours a week I'm working and more concerned about the way I'm carrying my work around with me. And it's been a major wake-up call to me this summer. And I want you to keep in mind that it's not just this job that's so hard. It's actually just the way I'm kind of wired. I remember being in high school, and I was one of those kids who was kind of involved in a, in a lot of different things, and I, especially music stuff. I was in, like, three choirs and voice lessons and piano lessons and guitar lessons. And I was in a soccer team and AP classes and working a job and too many things for a high school student. And my youth pastor, Chris, who's now a dear friend of mine, would come up to me routinely and he would tell me, put your shoulders down, put your shoulders down. Because I didn't know it, but I was walking around like this, probably not quite that pronounced, but kind of with my shoulders just tight all the time. And it sounds a little harsh, but he would say it very gently. And he would just notice that my, my body was full of stress as a high school kid who had a fairly easy high school life. So clearly I've struggled with carrying stress and tension and anxiety for, my, for most of my life. This is a lifelong struggle. You'll probably hear me talk about it more. But I've been convicted because how am I experiencing and witnessing to the peace and joy that are found in Christ when my shoulders look like I'm carrying a couple hundred pounds of weight around everywhere? And that's the question I'm still answering, but this text in Moses has really been helping me. Well, it's not in Moses, sorry, it's in Exodus. In the life of Moses has really been helping me as I've been sort of wrestling with this question, I'm hopeful, prayerful, that it is also helpful to you, um, as I think all of us, as I'll share, have this kind of burden in some way. So that's the big picture where we're going today. The context, before we dive into our outline on our bulletin, first time in two months we've had a bulletin, side note, very exciting. We have an um, administrative assistant named Madeline who just started with us a couple of weeks ago, and she's over a bunch of four different campuses, so you may or may not get to meet her, but she's wonderful, and we're very excited. So you can enjoy Bulletin now more consistently, at least for the time being. So you have an outline, but we're not quite there yet. At this point, I want to give a little context. Moses and the people have just come through their first real battle, and they've won. And they've been journeying deeper and deeper into the wilderness out as they left Egypt, and now they've arrived near to where Moses actually started from, near Midian, where he was before God called him to go back to Egypt. This is where Moses actually spent 40 years of his life, living with his wife's family, herding sheep, before God met him at the burning bush. And meanwhile, Moses' wife, Zipporah, and his two sons have not been traveling with Moses and the Israelites, actually for quite some time, but we don't know when exactly they departed. Moses' family, though, has been living with his wife's father for probably a few years at least now. And now Moses' father-in-law has heard, hey, the Israelites have set up camp nearby. Moses is nearby. Let's go meet them, and I'm going to bring your wife and kids back to you. 
And keep in mind, for this story, Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law's name, was his employer, was basically his only family outside of his wife and kids for these 40 years that he spent in Midian. In many ways, Moses was probably closer to Jethro than he was to Aaron or Miriam, his biological siblings, who he hadn't spent that much time with in the course of his life. But Jethro is also a priest of Midian, meaning he's a pagan priest, is in our Christian vernacular. He doesn't, to our knowledge, worship the God of Israel, at least up to this point. And in fact, he's probably a polytheist. He believes in many gods. So he's not one of the Israelite people. And it's important to kind of keep this background information about who Jethro is in mind as we read this story. And when Jethro shows up with Moses' wife and sons, whom Moses hasn't seen in years, we strangely have no record of how Moses greets his wife and his sons. I don't know why. I'm not going to conjecture. It might be the author just assumes you know that he greeted them warmly. But what we do read is that Moses gives the warmest possible welcome to his father-in-law. And he invites him into his tent, and they sit down to what appears to be a very long chat. And it's this conversation and a few conversations afterwards that he has with his father-in-law Jethro that we're looking at this morning, particularly as it relates to the burdens we carry in life. And this is kind of the crux of the message, that burdens and hardships are part of our lives. Everyone is carrying one. Many of us are carrying several. But there's good news along with that, because God reveals to Moses in this conversation that no burden in this life is too heavy or too unique to be shared. In fact, only in learning to share our burdens we're able, are we able to truly enter the kingdom or the freedom God has promised us. And so first we're going to examine what it is, how, where is Moses at when Jethro, when Jethro arrives? How's Moses doing at this point in time? What is he carrying? And there's a few things we know. First, we know that up to this point, the Israelite people have complained and grumbled against Moses six separate times. And they haven't been out of Egypt for very long. In chapter 14, they sarcastically cry to Moses because Pharaoh's army is closing in on them at the Red Sea and they don't know how they're going to survive. They say, what? Were there not enough graves dug in Egypt for our bodies that you took us all the way out here to die? Not a great start. In chapter 15, they turn against Moses because there was no water to drink. In chapter 16, they accuse Moses of bringing them into the wilderness to kill them again, this time due to lack of food. And then in chapter 17, just a few verses ago, the people are ready to stone him to death. They're so angry about another shortage of water. And every time Moses takes this stuff to the Lord and the Lord meets the needs of the people, Every time, but not without Moses experiencing this tremendous amount of anger and rebellion from the people he's supposed to be leading. And so Moses' first burden, he might say this morning, is a burden of, of people, of other people. Their worries and their fears, their well-being on his shoulders. And then their disappointment and anger and mistrust facing him. How many of us have experienced this? We have aging parents, maybe. We have employees or employers, spouses, kids, managers, people who depend on us, people from whom we bear maybe anger and disappointment and mistrust. 
And so this is a burden Moses carries. But Moses not only is burdened by caring for the people, but also by the responsibility he has to lead them into the promised land and to teach them how to be God's people. He's been called to this specific task. He's been called to be the voice of God for Israel. And so he has the burden. Yes, it's a privilege, but it's also quite a burden. It's heavy weight to speak to God and then translate what he hears to the people. And this second burden is the burden of calling or vocation on his life. Moses is following God's call. He's obeying the Lord, and it is not always easy. It's, in fact, incredibly challenging and isolating at times. And many of us also bear this kind of burden. We, maybe not to the scale of Moses, we don't maybe have two million people following us, but we bear the responsibility of career, of paying a mortgage, of teaching children in our community, Maybe it's of something God's laid on our hearts, like the call to disciple youth or to lead the PTA, to work towards racial reconciliation, to eradicate homelessness, something in our lives that's a calling that we're living into. And those are often a tremendous privilege, and they can weigh heavily on us. Numbers 11 is kind of a parallel story to this Exodus 18 chapter. And I encourage you, if you have time and are studying this further this week, to go back and read Numbers 11. It's an interesting kind of parallel story. But Moses is there described as weary and discouraged. This is the reality of life. It's the reality of leadership, too. And every one of us is a leader in some capacity. Because a leader is just simply someone who goes first in something. Whether it's with a child or with a parent or with a coworker with a ministry you run, and the reality of bearing other people's well-being, of bearing a calling or vocation or mission is just part of our life. And in fact, it's also what makes us sort of intrigued and interested in one another, and it's what makes us so compelled by these epic stories that we love. Things like the Lord of the Rings, where Frodo has been charged with this burden or of the call to carry the ring of power right into the heart of Mordor and destroy the evil it contains. And what makes it fascinating isn't that he makes it there at the end of the third movie or book. It's the journey. It's how he gets there. It's how he carries that. And the same with Harry Potter, my favorite probably. He carries his scar as a sign of his destiny that he'll someday inevitably have to face Voldemort who gave it to him. It's this burden. But what we love about that story isn't the showdown at the end of the seventh book or the eighth movie. It's the journey he takes through life, carrying that, carrying that weight. That's what makes him so human and so a powerful, such a powerful story. And even Jesus carries a burden through his life, through his human life. This burden of his responsibility that he's taken upon himself right, to carry the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders and then ultimately defeat it. But his knowledge of that throughout his human life is often a shadow over him. He seems to weigh heavily on him. And so burdens are part of what it means to be human. We don't, none of us skate through this life. You know this probably by now. Or by the, we don't, go through life unburdened by responsibility, unburdened by the cares and worries of others. And today, every one of us is carrying some sort of burden, whether you're a parent or you're a child, a spouse or a single, a manager or an employee or a teacher, 
whatever it is. And if we're not careful, we can just walk around all the time carrying a lot of weight with our shoulders hunched up. And in fact, uh, there's a guy named Brian Robinson who's a PhD, he's written several books. He's devoted much of his life to studying addiction to work. And he estimates that as many as 25% of Americans are addicted to work, meaning, and he he describes it this way, you have an obsessive compulsive disorder that manifests itself through self-imposed demands, an inability to regulate work habits, and an overindulgence in work. This is what we carry on our shoulders. And while it's often work that happens at an office, it's not exclusively that, because we can be addicted to work without ever leaving the house. And this is what happens to Moses. He becomes convinced that he alone can do the job of teacher and judge and visionary and leader. And every day that Israel isn't on the move or fighting a battle, he has to be at work, sitting there, listening to the conflicts and disputes of every person who desires his attention. And so he, he's 80 years old, and there's a good chance he's not taking enough time to sleep or eat And yet he's convinced himself that no one else can do what he's doing, that he has to be the one to do it all. And if that's you in any area of life, and I I know this is me (laughs) at times, I've already admitted that, then you are self-imposing more burden than you are designed to carry. Moses, in his response to God's amazing vocation for his life, has actually worked himself into a place that's dangerous for him and for the people he's leading totally unsustainable. And this is where Jethro comes in and finds his dear friend and son-in-law. And there's three things I want us to notice from Jethro's conversation with Moses. And you might consider these as steps or ingredients, if you will, to experiencing the freedom Christ promises. This isn't an exhaustive list. It just happens to be three things we find in this conversation that I think are helpful for us today. Paul writes in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. There is freedom. We're promised in Christ. Christ himself, of course, this is a passage we quote often, says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In Matthew 11, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So how do we experience that? That's my question for us this morning. And that's what we're going to look at with this conversation. For those of us here who believe in Jesus as our Lord, this morning we've been promised that our burdens will not be too heavy, that they will in fact be light. And I confess to you today, they don't feel light to me a lot of the time. My doctor flat out told me without meaning to that I'm not living as though that promise is true. And so how do I get there? How do we witness to Christ's power in our lives that gives us burdens that are light? And so first I want us to notice notice the relationship that Moses has with Jethro. Because we read that Moses immediately brings Jethro into his tent. This is his old friend, his mentor. And I'm guessing Moses can't really wait to just get to share what's been happening. And a lot's been happening in his life. And we don't get a whole lot of information about that conversation Moses has with Jethro, but we do read in verse 8 that Moses shared the most amazing things God had done and the hard stuff. And you can kind of picture it, Moses moving back and forth between pride with what God has done through him and angry venting about how difficult it has been. And then 
excitement over how amazing God's deliverance and provision have been and how frustrating some of the people are that he has to lead. And it's likely one of those long, late-into-the-night talks. And Jethro is a friend. He knows Moses perhaps better than anyone. And he's not someone Moses has to lead or care for. Moses finds himself able to just rest in his presence. And this might seem too basic to mention, but I'm going to say it. Every one of us needs this kind of friend. Someone who knows us well. Someone who's outside our family, outside our job, maybe even outside our church or our ministry and calling, if that's a big part of our lives. And that's because even in this act of sharing everything that's happened, Moses is starting to lighten the burden that he's been carrying. He's able to gain perspective and find rest even in just sharing this. And Jesus himself made this a point to have deep friendships in his life. He invested in three disciples specifically to build close relationships with. And in this darkest hour, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he invited them to join him, to keep watch with him, he said. We need this. This is our human need we have. And it bears mentioning because in the busyness of life, we can often have a lot of relationships that are shallow and not very many that are like this one with Jethro. And we need this kind of person in our lives. And notice one other thing about this friendship is the first thing Jethro does after Moses basically sort of finishes talking, which is probably a while, is he gives thanks. He rejoices at what God's done. He doesn't necessarily sit there and complain with Moses about, gosh, yeah, this must be so hard. He gives praise for what God has done in his life. And then he encourages Moses to stop and offer a sacrifice to the Lord, to give thanks to God for delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. And the funny thing is the Israelites haven't actually done this yet. They haven't actually offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving. They've complained and grumbled and threatened to go back to Egypt, but they have yet to stop and say thank you. And so Jethro is the friend who points Moses to give thanks first. Friendship deep relationship. This is what Moses needs in this place he's at. Okay, so that's the first ingredient step towards this kind of freedom. And the second step we have is in the practice of humility, particularly with these friends like Jethro. And this is what we see in Moses's response in verses 14 through 21. And this is where I want us to recall that Jethro is not an Israelite, He's a pagan priest, and even though he just acknowledged God as greater than all other gods, just in verse 11, he hasn't been speaking to God directly the way Moses has been. If nothing else, Jethro is like a brand new believer. Our first step towards this humility that leads to freedom is to listen to people who are perhaps different from us, perhaps vastly different from us. So this is a a question we have to ask. Are we listening to perspectives that are not like ours? Conservative if we're liberal. Liberal if we're conservative. Do you bring your trouble with living in your calling or your vocation? If that's a struggle you're having, do you tell your non-Christian, non-believing friend about that? Do you listen to your father-in-law or your mother-in-law or your daughter-in-law for wisdom? We, of course, have to be discerning. And remember, Jethro is trusted in Moses' life, but we must also recognize that God uses unlikely sources in Scripture all the time to speak truth. And this happens in this story too. And so above all, 
Although we must be discerning, we must also have the humility to listen to those who are unlike us. And that's the first type of humility Moses has. The second that he ultimately acts on is Jethro's listening to Jethro's sharp critique of the way that he's leading. Because in verses 17 and 18, Jethro says, what you are doing is not good. You are not go- you're going to wear yourself out and the people with you. This task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. And, and then he basically goes on to tell Moses exactly what he should do instead. That's some pretty harsh criticism for someone who just showed up. And he tells him basically he should split up the leaders, that he should put hundreds if not thousands of leaders in place to do what Moses has been doing by himself. He's leading two million people by himself, essentially. And the Hebrew word Jethro uses when he says, you will surely wear yourself out, is the word for, translated also, wither, to wither away, you will sink away. And this people with you, And this is a crux moment for Moses because he has to decide whether he's going to listen and defend the way he's currently living and leading or whether he's going to to listen and and obey kind of what his father-in-law says. So uh, first he acts defensively. First he says, look, the people come to me so they can inquire of God. When they have a conflict, I decide the issue for them and I have to instruct them in God's laws and instructions. He's essentially saying, subtext, I'm the only one who can do this. No one else can do this job. And keep in mind, there's a big difference here and then the place where Moses found himself in chapter 17, which we studied last week, except we didn't study it, so you can listen to it online. But chapter 17, the Amalekite army is fighting the Israelite army, and every time uh, Moses, who's standing up on top of a hill watching it all, every time his arms are raised, the Israelite army is gaining ground. And every time his arms fall because he's so tired holding the staff of God, the Amalekite army gains ground. So eventually, in order to make sure he doesn't lose any more soldiers, he has to ask for help. He has encountered a crisis he can't battle on his own. And so he asks for help, and some people stand there and hold his arms up. And this, for us today, is when we get sick or injured or someone in our family gets sick or some crisis happens where we have to ask for help. It's a forced kind of humility. And that's necessary. That's not what's happening here. And more often than not, what we need in life is to be able to not be in that situation, but to have humility to ask for help when it's not a crisis. Because even though, even though it's not as dire as that Amalekite army battle, Moses is in every bit as much of danger of losing his people, of wearing them out, of them withering away, And that's Jethro's challenge to him. He's warning them that even though soldiers aren't dying every time his arm drops, Moses is going to wear the people out unless he has the humility to ask for help. Richard Swenson's an author of a book called Margin. And he wrote, when you reach the limits of your resources or abilities, you have no margin left. Yet because we don't even know what margin is, We don't realize it's gone. All we know is that something's not right, but we can't solve the puzzle beyond that. Our pain is palpable. We know that we're in some kind of pain, but our assailant remains unnamed. We don't know quite why. Most of us don't realize when we're out of margin, other than to simply feel the effects of exhaustion, 
of unhealth, like my visit to the doctor, and to humbly admit that we are incapable of bearing our burden ourselves, that we need margin, that we need help, and lots of it. In fact, in every facet of our lives, we don't like to remember this, in every facet of our lives, we need someone's help at some time or another, even to feed ourselves, right? Even to use the bathroom. That is something you need at the beginning and often the end of your life, and sometimes in the middle. And so every facet in between then, how much more do we need hope with the things that weigh on us now? Uh, I, I've shared this before. I'm no good at asking for help. Last year, Matt and I went backpacking, and it was our first time out of the year. And it was something like a five-mile hike, which is not that hard. But about a mile to the lake where we were planning on camping for the night, I began to have a really hard time breathing. And I started having to stop every few steps. And Matt, as usual, was doing just fine. And he was out there ahead of me. And I was so annoyed that I was having a hard time. And eventually, Matt came back to me to where I was stopped because I just couldn't get my heart rate down. I couldn't, to, I couldn't get it like, kind of regulated so I could keep going. And he insisted that I take off my pack and get like, a real break for a minute, which was good advice. And so I did. He picked it up, and he started hiking with it and his own pack. So he was carrying both of our packs, and I was not pleased. This was really unsettling to me. I'm loudly protesting that he should give me my pack back, but he's ahead of me, so I have to follow him. And I was instantly feeling so much better. It's amazing, right? I was able to get my wind back. I was able to breathe normally. And after only like a quarter mile, it might have been a little longer, but I convinced him to give me back my pack, and I was able to carry it the rest of the way and did much better. And to this day, I hate that story. <laughs> I hate that story. I'm embarrassed that I needed someone to carry my pack on a hike that, full disclosure, wasn't that hard. And that this is exactly what it takes to experience freedom in our lives. The humility to ask for help. I didn't even ask for it in that story, so it's actually probably not a great illustration. Matt forced me to ask, take help, but maybe that's the friendship part. Anyways, this is what we are needing to do to be able to experience the freedom Christ wants for us, we must have the humility to ask for help. And the final step in this, the final ingredient, if friendship and humility are steps, then this trust is a final one or a third one today. I love that even Jethro, who's a brand new believer, tells Moses in verse 23, look, it's going to have to be God's command to you to follow my advice. Essentially, Go to God with this. Don't just take my word for it. But if he does command you, then there will be peace. In other words, you have to trust God for your next steps. And the reality is we must move into trusting God as our source of strength and as our source of hope. And part of that means then trusting God to provide tangible hope in our lives in the form of other people who can carry a burden with us. Moses first had to learn to trust God with the people that he was leading so that when they complained of thirst, when they threatened to kill him, Moses would get terribly worried. He would carry that worry as a burden, understandably, that he was maybe about to die at the hands of the people, that the people were going to run back to Egypt. And that's not a burden he was asked to carry. 
God would reassure him every step of the way that in fact he had a plan for everything the nation of Israel was worried about. He had a plan for food and water and the approaching army. And yet Moses, instead of trusting God and thanking God for his provision, would carry this worry and anger at the people. He'd allow the mood of the people to affect him. And Moses also had to learn to trust people around him, trust the people of Israel to come in and do and share what he's been doing up to this point, lead with him. And that's no small thing. Any of us who've asked for help before know this, instead of hearing every complaint and everything that the people brought to him and being able to sort of decide what was serious and not, he was going to have to trust the intellect and wisdom of others to report to him when he needed to know something. He would have to learn to accept that others would do things differently, might even make a judgment differently than he would. That is a powerful kind of trust. And Jesus modeled this beautifully for us, in fact, because in his leadership on this earth, he equipped his disciples with tremendous power. He entrusted them to begin the church. He never baptized a single follower on his own. He left that to the work of broken, imperfect disciples. He spent only three years teaching and doing ministry before releasing the work to us still in this world. But most of us assume our burdens are ours alone. That what we're in charge of, we're in charge of because no one else can do it. And so I must parent my child alone. No one else can do it as well as me. I must lead this Bible study for the 10th year in a row. No one else can do it. I must earn all of our income. I must do this tax return without asking for help. I must care for my aging parents without the help of a nursing home. They cared for me. No one else can do it as well as I will. I must find a job to earn more money. There's no other way we'll survive. I must work more hours to get that promotion. There's no other way we'll survive. And none of these statements are true, but we think they are. God has said, no, I am here with you. I will provide for you. I will be there with you. But we make these statements in our heads all the time, and we carry them around, and we carry around not only the calling and the people God's entrusted to us, but also all the worry and anxiety and stress that those things can bring. And that is what Jesus says is not our burden to carry, that our burden is light because you're not meant to do it alone. Trust me, and in trusting me, Jesus says, you'll be able to then trust the people around you to help you. And so humble yourself and acknowledge that you're not alone, that you're not God, and you will be free. And so this practically looks like, so this is my conclusion, but this practically looks like first identifying what causes you to carry tension, what causes you to have pain or worry, what makes your shoulders tight, what keeps you up at night. Are you in danger of becoming addicted to your work, whatever that work is? What are those things? What are the burdens you carry? And then, who are you sharing them with? That's the question. First, are you sharing them with God? Are you trusting God with them totally? And in doing that, who have you asked to help you? To share that burden with you. Jethro tells Moses that if he follows his advice and he invites the other leaders in to work with Moses, then they will be able to bear the burden with him. 
He doesn't promise that the burden will disappear. And this is my word for us too. It's, it's still going to be hard, potentially. But he does promise that peace, that shalom will come to the people through his act of obedience. And that not only will Moses benefit, but everyone will find peace because Moses learned to share his burden. This morning we're going to be receiving communion. And this is a shared table where all of us, broken individuals, sinners, come together to eat of one loaf and drink of one cup and acknowledge that we are one body in Christ, meaning that we need each other. And that we have Christ as our savior and leader. And so if you're seeking after Jesus this morning, if you desire to trust him with more and more of your life, I invite you to come to this table in the knowledge that Christ is offering himself to you. And he has said, come to me, all you who are weary. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And his death and resurrection are the source of our freedom and our rest this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, I just confess to you, we confess to you, that we have tried to do it alone, that we have not wanted to trust you. And God, we ask that you would now come and show us what we are carrying that is too heavy. And God, give us the people in our lives to share those burdens with. Give us deep friendships, Lord. People who can point, help us to rejoice, to give thanks. People who can help us to see where we need to ask for help in humility. And then finally, God, as we come to your table this morning, we give you our lives. We ask that you would come in and share, God, our burdens as you have promised to do. We thank you, God, for the sacrifice you have made and the burden that you bore so that we could be free. Amen.